Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Life Rewired podcast, and thank you guys for joining us on this Tuesday, July 4th. So happy 4th of July to all of you guys who are listening. Whenever it is you are listening to this, we hope you guys got some awesome time just with family, with friends, and I know that these kind of um, holidays just always come at a good time, I know, for Chris and I, and it really helps us just press pause and kind of just pull ourselves out of, you know, just the everyday, day-to-day hustle, as I know a lot of you guys can relate to. So we just hope that you guys were able to have, you know, some nice, relaxing time away from the daily hustle and just the ability to relax with loved ones, with friends. Um, and today's episode, you know, speaking of spending time with loved ones and friends, we've got a special guest, uh, Megan Tenor, on the episode today, my sister. Um, this is the second time she's been on the Life Rewired podcast, and we're super excited um, to really dive into this whole topic of mindful eating. We believe that this is something that Chris and I and Megan both, you know, really practice ourselves and even help our clients practice this um, in tandem with, you know, the tracking, the logging, um, being mindful of the numbers as we'll call it. But um, before we begin, this episode is brought to you by Nash Nutrition. The Nash bar is made with simple and nourishing ingredients, 20 grams of protein, and is naturally sweetened with honey and dates. And what a lot of people don't realize is that most of the so-called healthy protein bars on the market are in fact heavily processed with fillers and unnatural ingredients. And we know that if we consume too much processed food too often, it can lead to long-term health issues. So this is why we love the Nash bars. We never even have to think twice about the ingredients and they truly are the good for you protein bar. And so on to today's episode, this is episode 92, Mindful Eating with Meg Tenor. And so we just wanted to kind of preface this episode with the conversation around the fact that Everything that we talk about today is going to be totally predicated off of what your individual goals ultimately are. You know, these techniques, these methods, these tips, the advice that we're going to give you guys, you know, it can work in so many different ways and it can work for so many different people. And we're going to talk a lot about, you know, tracking calories, tracking macros, um, but also talking about being more intuitive, being more mindful around, you know, eating habits, hunger levels, hunger cues. Um, And this is one of those situations where, you know, we might go through waves where, you know, in certain times of our lives, you know, we're heavier and leaning more so into, you know, the tracking. And then we might have other seasons of life where, you know, we're leaning more into, you know, the mindful eating and the mindful consumption. And through my own experience and my own personal experience, I truly have found that, you know, both of these things truly do work hand in hand. Um, You know, we do have to be aware and we do have to be mindful, um, but at the same time, you know, we can use the tool of tracking our calories, tracking our macros, tracking our protein, you know, to facilitate goals and and honestly close the gap um, on those goals a little bit quicker and a little bit in a more of an expedited fashion. But, you know, for today's episode, we really wanted to start off with, you know, kind of diving into Megan's story, her background, um, and letting her kind of tell you guys a little bit about herself. Um, and how she's even gotten to the point that she's at today. I'm sure you all can learn so much from just her story, her trajectory, um, and really just across the board with everything that she's learned, you know, over these years. And so we wanted to kind of give you the opportunity, Megan, um, to dive into, you know, your story, kind of to give a little bit of an introduction to the listeners. Well, thank you guys so much for having (laughs) me. This is so exciting to be back with both hosts this time. But yeah, I'm Meg. I live in Chicago with my husband, Sam. So shout out to Sam. And I'm a personal trainer and nutrition coach. And I work specifically with women now. But my journey, man, thinking back, I think I would say from a fitness and health perspective, it really started in high school when I started my first diet in hopes of losing just, you know, the usual 10 to 15 pounds before a spring break trip. And Little did I know it would send me into kind of a decade-long spiral, more or less, of yo-yo dieting, all-or-nothing mentality, kind of just being knee-deep in diet culture, feeling like I was starting over every Monday and trying everything under the sun from a fitness and health perspective. And the more I tried to like control my food and everything I was doing, the more I realized like I didn't have control over it. And just honestly, so much trial and error got me to a much more balanced and mindful and healthier perspective with mindful eating and strength training and just finding things that I genuinely really enjoyed and really learning how to work with my body instead of against it. And I, when I was still in my corporate career, started diving more into fitness and health, started teaching fitness classes, became certified in a handful of capacities, started on the personal training side the group fitness setting, and then really started to dive more and more into the one-on-one fitness and health coaching space for women specifically. 
and has kind of brought me to where I am today. But I will say, I mean, never say never, but I think I've tried like Zach and Chris in a lot of ways, like so many different things and it progress hasn't been linear, but it's been a hell of a journey. And I feel very lucky to get to do what I do, especially with all of the women that I get to work with and to be on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely, Megan. No, it's it really is cool. And it's such a full circle moment because like we've talked about, we had Megan on a long time ago in the early stages of the Life Rewired podcast. And this is cool now that Chris and I are doing this together um, to bring Megan back on and talk through this this entire concept around just eating and nutrition. Because I think, you know, from what you heard from her, this is one of those situations where it's a lot of trial and error. And that's something that we have to coach our clients through because there's not a one size fits all approach. You know, not what works for one individual might not work, um, you know, for the next person. And I think that it's really important to understand that and to really broaden your perspective and take this holistic approach that, you know, we teach you guys through this podcast and be able to, you know, beg, borrow, steal and evaluate, you know, what is going to work best for me? What what can I subscribe to that I know is going to help me feel my best and and fuel myself in a way where, you know, I can achieve the results and the goals that I want to achieve, but doing so through a way that's going to be sustainable, that's going to be actually legitimately healthy and not pushing you guys into any extremes or, you know, just doing quick fixes or or just like putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound, but really helping you guys identify and really identify what is the solution for my issues or for my struggles and how can I get there in a way that's going to be sustainable and that's going to promote longevity of my health. Yeah, and I think that when you talk about like sustainability, what I think is so cool about like the mindful eating and obviously us doing something a little bit different with tracking is the principles are very similar. And with this being like 4th of July weekend, for example, I know the biggest struggle for a lot of my clients is like my significant other or family members or friends aren't on the same wavelength. And even if we subscribe to a different method of nutrition, what's really cool is a lot of these habits and a lot of these things we're going to talk about in today's episode go hand in hand. So even if you are someone who tracks, you're someone who does mindful eating, you can coexist in events and dinners with family and things like that. I'm really excited for all of you guys to learn from the mindful queen herself. So we're (laughs) going to dive in with a couple questions. But my first question is what the foundational five is when it comes to mindful nourishment. Yeah. So this is something that I kind of came up with when I was thinking about what does a balanced plate look like? And obviously the caveat that none of us are perfect. This is not always going to be the case. It's, you know, what you guys always say. And even what I tell a lot of the people that I work with, you know, we're always just trying to get a little bit better, 1% better and to focus on what you're doing most of the time, not some of the time. But when it comes to building a balanced plate and balanced meal, I like to break it down into five different components, which I kind of just dubbed as the foundational five because it's easy to remember. But first and foremost, always protein, most satiating nutrient, um, obviously the building blocks for lean muscle mass and just so, so important for men, women, but especially from a female perspective, since that is primarily who I'm working with just for hormones, healthy metabolism, all the things. So that is usually where I always like to recommend starting and to even kind of a subset of that is to prioritize and even lead with protein. So starting with that around 30 grams or more, depending on the individual and then building the rest of your meal around that. So the next piece of that would be um, your fiber rich carbs. Obviously um, that might not always be the case when it comes to the carbohydrates, but Fiber is so important for digestive health and all the things. So starting with protein, adding some fiber-rich carbs there, and then rounding it out with some color, your non-starchy veggies, and then making sure that some nourishing fats and satisfaction is present. And I like to include satisfaction there. I know that might sound kind of like a no-brainer, but just in all of my own personal experience and professional experience with the women I've worked with, that often is one of the (laughs) forgotten pieces where they have all of the macronutrients or even all four of these items, but then they might not actually be enjoying the food that they're having. And when it comes to adherence, we know that that's just so important to actually enjoy the food that you're eating. So I always like to make sure that that's present, but protein, fat, fiber-rich carbs, color, and satisfaction is the short version. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And that goes hand in hand with a lot of the stuff that we preach and talk about on this podcast episode. And I like how you talked about just kind of like that whole idea of like satisfaction Mm -hmm. and like satisfaction, not even from like an emotional standpoint of like, let me just like eat to satisfy like this emotional craving that I might Mm -hmm. be having, but eating to like be functionally satisfied, like, um, and, and in a healthy way, you know, not where Mm -hmm. we're like 
over consuming or even under consuming. So like, you know, through your own personal experience, Megan, like how important do you think it is in relation to like hunger cues and managing hunger levels, like to understand that whole idea of like satiation, because you talked about like leading with protein and protein being so important. And I think that that plays such a huge role um, in being satisfied in in finding um, a balance with like your hunger levels and your fullness cues. So like how has focusing on, you know, satiating nutrients like played a role in, in your own um, kind of journey and with what you see with the women that you coach? It's huge. I Honestly, it's everything. And I think something that a lot of people don't understand from a hunger and fullness perspective is that you can be physically full, but not actually satisfied. So an example I always like to get because we've all been there where you eat a shit ton of food and then you find yourself seconds later opening the fridge, opening the pantry, and you're just looking for something to jump out at you because you've eaten so much food, but you never actually were satisfied. And that's why I think that's so important, not only from, you know, the satiation standpoint of protein being really satisfying and satiating from a macronutrient standpoint, but also having those nourishing fats to really round it out. And then from an energetic standpoint, like still getting carbohydrates and all that good stuff. But satisfaction really is huge when it comes to hunger and fullness and even just fully understanding what hunger and fullness looks like. Because I often see, and I know that I have (laughs) a lot of personal experience with this at the beginning of my journey, but the vast majority of women that come to me are operating on this hunger and fullness scale, if you will, of only two components. It's either starving or stuffed. And it's this very very honestly chaotic experience for your body because it's almost like you're stuck in this whiplash mode where you're going as long as you physically can to eat something and then your blood sugar is tanking it's also jacking your metabolism (laughs) and it's just really not supporting your body so then you get to that like sos starving ravenous stage whatever you want to call it and then you just have to eat something and then by the time you get there you're just eating so quickly and that mindfulness goes out the window and then you're overeating, then you're uncomfortable, and then you feel guilty, and then you have to do it all again. So it's just like a very whiplash kind of place to be, and that's why it's so, so important to understand that there's so much more to it. Yeah, and I think that can happen with mindful eating and also with tracking too. I think a lot of people don't take that moment to like check in with themselves, and I know self-awareness is a huge piece of your coaching method too. So you can either say like an example with yourself or with clients, what methods you use to like check in with that self-awareness and really think like, am I satisfied or just kind of ignoring those signals. Yeah, for sure. I think something that I always like to recommend is, and this might seem a little arduous at the beginning, but I I promise it can be a matter of seconds where you check in before, during, and after a meal, or even any situation where food is present, snack, meal, whatever that is, but just going in, checking in. How, where do I kind of fall? And if you did go too long without eating, I know I've done that when I'm just running around grabbing groceries and stuff and I've gone too long, I just check in. Okay, where am I at? Okay, I actually waited a little bit too long to eat something. So I know already that I'm going into this hungrier than normal. So then I know it's even more important to plate my food, to sit down, to slow down, to be mindful, to limit those distractions and to really lean into those mindful eating principles because I know how I'm going into this eating situation. Then once you actually get there, kind of some of the things I said, where you really just know and have the self-awareness to sit down, to slow down, to even take those breaks in between bites and set your utensils down and things like that. And then also on the back half of that meal, that eating situation, checking in, are you comfortably full? Are you still hungry? Maybe you got a lot of one macronutrient or one piece of the puzzle, but didn't get enough of the others. Um, Or maybe just that satisfaction isn't there. So it's all of those little data points. It's not criticism. It's not judgment. I always say really try to lead with non-judgmental curiosity. That goes hand in hand with self-awareness and self-compassion, but it's the difference of, oh, well, like I totally just messed up and like whatever, like the day's ruined type of thing versus, you know, okay, I could definitely improve that. I was actually kind of hungry an hour after that meal. So what was that lacking? Oh, protein wasn't, you know, as high as it should have been, could have been more rounded out, balanced with some nourishing fats and things like that. And just taking all of that data, bringing it into the next meal so you can do 1% better and just taking it day by day, day by day, and even just meal by meal and trying to use all of that as just data, like stripping Mm -hmm. the emotion from it, stripping the it's good, it's bad, it's whatever, and just trying to see it all as data that can help you. And that is really such a game changer when you can 
take the good and bad and the emotion out of it and just really lead with that curiosity and meet yourself where you're at so you can keep improving over time. Yeah. And I think that so many people can just relate to this right now. I would say like majority of people, like upwards of like 90% of the people I talk to are caught in that like push pull where it's, mm-hmm. you know, I'm either super, super stuffed or I'm starving. And and I feel like the, the main root cause of that is just our turbulent eating habits. Mm-hmm. And I think that no matter whether you're someone who tracks your food or does practice more mindful eating most of the time, it is so important you know, to level out those eating habits. And you almost have to like break that cycle. Like you mm-hmm. almost have to just trust in the process and like get yourself into like, okay, I'm going to just commit for this week, Monday through Sunday, like not blow off and go absolutely balls to the wall on the weekend, but like really be balanced. Because the way I think like what happens for a lot of us, especially with nutrition, is we just fall into that trap of the extreme so easily because it's mm-hmm. like we're dissatisfied with how we're look moving or feeling and we automatically are like, okay, I'm going to restrict calories. And then you get yourself into a loop where it's like, okay, I'm going to restrict these calories. But then by me doing that so extre- like to the extreme, then on the back end, like I know that that day is coming where the, that, that drastic spike um, in intake is coming. So I really try to look at it as like, and Megan said this multiple times of like, looking at that bigger picture of what we're doing most of the time. And we really need to trust in that versus just always trying to chase kind of like that short term fix of under consumption, under consumption, because you guys, I'm telling you, like, it's going to come like that, that it's almost like you're delaying that that hunger. Now it's okay to get yourself into, you know, those calorie deficits and a slight, you know, energy depleted state. Mm -hmm. But when we get into those deep energy depleted states, that's where those hunger spikes will just absolutely go through the roof. And I think something that I see all the time, and this is something that I struggled with too, where it's like you don't know how good you can feel Mm -hmm. when there is more balance. And I always like to give the analogy of this is even like blood sugar, metabolic health and hunger and fullness, but it kind of goes for everything where if you are operating on like that starving and stuffed scale and it's just very whiplash it's like a really jerky roller coaster that you are just strapping into at the beginning of the day and it's these really really big spikes of energy and then really really hard crashes versus what i always tell my clients and even try to remind myself is we want it to be less of a roller coaster and more of a wave where Mm -hmm. it is going to ebb and flow naturally you know your hunger is going to spike your fullness is going to come through but we want it to feel more like a steady consistent wave throughout the day and not these harsh spikes because that is your body directly talking to you like, what the hell are you doing? Blood sugar. (laughs) We're doing our best, but we're only working with what we're given. Mm -hmm. And it can really just be such a game changer. And even just how you see hunger and fullness, how you speak about hunger and fullness and your body, it, it goes from this like, kind of like critical, I see this all the time and hear this all the time with the gals that I work with, but it's like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, I'm just like so hungry versus like, oh, I'm upping the protein and I have so much more energy and I'm bringing in carbs again after being so low carb. And it's just crazy how much better you can feel with these small but mighty tweaks. And that's what I always try to drive home. We are not overhauling things. We're not flipping your life on its head overnight. It really is small and gradual, but very, very mighty. And I think a lot of people would be surprised just how much better you can feel with those small but mighty tweaks and just trying to eat enough and consistently throughout the day and really, you know, good quality things, adequate protein, all the things. It's just honestly amazing. <laughs> like yeah. what it can do for your energy levels, for your sleep, for your performance in and out of the gym, your progress. I mean, it all goes so hand in hand. Yeah. And I love the analogy you gave with like almost like the wave. Like I almost try to picture, I really try to like think of like, okay, what does the last week look like on a graph? Like were there Mm. a ton of like Mm -hmm. spikes and like a ton of like massive valleys that dropped or was it just kind of level and steady? And Mm -hmm. like Megan said, like to her point, the more level and steady, you know, those inputs can be with our intake, with our caloric consumption and just nutrient consumption in general, the more consistent the outputs, the more consistent we'll feel, the more consistent our results will be, the the more consistent we will perform. So I think that that's something that is very underrated, you know, in a lot of what we do is, is like really just helping people develop that consistency of making, you know, Monday look a lot like Saturday, even when yeah. what we're eating changes, mm-hmm. even when, you know, we might be some be doing something that's more social like this weekend like we were 
all three of us were with family, we're with, you know, some friends and things like that. Like you're, you're hit with all these distractions and you might change what you're consuming. But when it comes to volume frequency, like we want to try to be as consistent as possible to manage those hunger levels and to manage, like Megan said, the energy levels and all this stuff is connected because like she said, when you, when we have those, you know, drastic drops and drastic spikes, that's messing with our energy levels. That's messing with our stress levels. It's impacting Mm -hmm. the way what we're feeling mentally as well, you know, and that's why, you know, we might struggle with, you know, stress regulation um, on top of just the day-to-day stressors, but actually how we're treating our bodies as well. Mm -hmm. And even just thinking about like from a weekend standpoint, when you're going out to eat, I think what happens a lot of times is anytime you're taken out of your normal routine, whether that's your fitness routine, your own kitchen, you know, whatever that looks like, it's like everything just goes out the window that you normally do. And that's why we so often feel like we have to quote, get back on track because we just literally bounced right off the track for a few days. And we feel like we have to, you know, crawl back to even get to a sense of normalcy when it's like, yes, it might not look exactly week to weekend. There is going to be less structure. Probably there is going to be maybe more meals out but still carrying at least some of the same habits or the same principles. So then it doesn't feel, again, like that whiplash mode where it doesn't always look the exact same. And there is going to be some differences between the weekdays versus the weekends, but still having those non-negotiables, those principles that you can fall back on that will really serve as your anchor, your North Star, if you will, and just kind of guide you through any situation. And speaking of that, I was going to ask your biggest mindful tips for weekends, travel, or like when you're eating out, for example, mm. like how do you navigate mindful eating like the foundational five, or would you recommend to your clients that they're going out to eat or mm. on a vacation, like carrying this lifestyle with you is such an important piece of that. And how would you recommend going about that? I think one of the biggest things is, especially if it's a meal out, a special occasion, like a wedding later in the day, or even just a weekend away, really trying to start your day strong and what i mean by that specifically is what i often see is a lot of people go into this like saving up mentality and it's very much like what we talked about earlier where you know if you are waiting as long as possible to eat something when you actually finally do eat something it's going to feel very out of control very chaotic and you're just going to turn more or less into a human vacuum we've all been there (laughs) i've been there it totally happens but just knowing that you know you can it really comes down to how you start your day. And I think a lot of times like we put such an emphasis on like this meal out, this more indulgent meal, but it's like, how are you spending the day leading up to that? And what are you doing leading up to that? And I think what often happens is like breakfast is the first thing to go out the window because we're all just drinking coffee first thing on an empty stomach. And I know that that can totally work for some people, but if you think about it, your body wakes up in a catabolic state, you've more or less been fasting for seven plus hours and you and your body really need a boost of fuel, specifically protein, first thing in the morning. And that's why I always say, like, really try to get at least 30 grams of protein first thing in the morning with or after coffee, because that is going to really just set the tone for your blood sugar, for your metabolism, for your hunger and fullness, your energy for the rest of the day. And like we talked about earlier, protein is the most satiating nutrient. I mean, I could talk, I could do a whole podcast on protein, um, but it's so important, especially first thing in the day, because it really anchors your blood sugar and all of the things and sets the tone. So really trying to prioritize protein at every meal, but especially at breakfast, especially if you're going to have a more indulgent meal later, I would think like, I always talk to my clients about just that plug and play. So I always give this example, like if we were going out for, if we were doing like a pizza night um, for dinner, you already kind of know that that's going to be a little lighter on the protein front. So I just always try to think, okay, like I want to be able to go and really enjoy that and to just get a few slices and like not even think twice about it. But what can I do on the front half of the day leading up to that to really set myself and my body up for success? Because I just know that when I'm not eating enough protein and not fueling myself in a way that I normally would, I definitely feel the difference. And I've even talked to some clients where they're like, yeah, I totally notice the difference when pizza specifically, nothing wrong with pizza, obviously, but it's just inherently lower in protein and where you could eat like so many different slices. And then you're like pretty hungry after like an hour later. So just trying to set yourself up on the front half of the day and doing what you would quote normally do as often as possible from a balanced meal standpoint, from protein, especially staying hydrated throughout the day. And then when you do get to say that meal out, for example, bringing a lot of the same principles there, like figuring out what you genuinely want to try. If there's a dish that you've been looking forward to trying, if there's something that you just always love getting really leaning into that. And then 
you know, if you can get some greens, share a salad with someone, that's always a really easy way to just kind of get some micronutrients in, especially if the rest of the meal is a little lighter on that, or if you haven't gotten in any during the day, um, and just slowing down and being present, I think, especially when you're eating those meals out again, we can, we can just kind of like bulldoze through it and eat so quickly without even realizing it, but just really enjoying, especially because whether it's a special occasion or not, you know, I know for us, we're not Sam and I, especially we don't go out to eat that much. So it's like when we do, it feels special and really enjoy the meal that you're having instead of just like eating it so quickly because you're like, oh my gosh, like I never get to do this. So, and just having more of a, a balanced mindset there and taking all of those similar mindful principles where you just like sit down, you slow down, you chew your food like thoroughly, completely take breaks in between and just like really be present and enjoy what you are actually having. Yeah. And I think something that you said there that really stood out to me was just the idea of like start, like how you start your day. And I feel like Mm -hmm. we've gotten ourselves into a mode like in our fitness culture and nutrition culture, like intermittent fasting has become just insanely popular. Mm -hmm. And like all things, us as humans just quite literally fuck things up. (laughs) And I feel like intermittent fasting is a phenomenal tool for some people and for some situations, but it's one of those things that we quite literally took to the extreme. Mm -hmm. Um, And I see this so much. Um, with the men that I coach and it really hits home with me because Chris and I just said the other day like we were eating breakfast at like 7 8 a.m and like we never used to do that Mm -hmm. like never ever ever used to eat breakfast that (laughs) early Um, but now that we are more balanced in our eating habits with the once again the volume and the frequency like giving that graph example like our eating habits are very leveled at our you know caloric goal and protein goal Um, you know this really does help you get a better understanding of like, hey, I can actually eat breakfast. Like I don't have to intermittently fast. And I honestly think what has happened is, and I know this was the case for me where like when I started getting into the intermittent fasting, like it's working, like you're, you're, you know, controlling those calories a little bit more. Um, But then, you know, say we do start maybe falling off track with our fitness goals. We're like, what is the only thing we know how to do? We don't, we, all we do is restrict. So we restrict mm-hmm. even more. Mm-hmm. And then we like, we get into a mode where, you know, we're not eating until, you know, the end of the workday. And then we're like eating one meal a day. And then, you know, that happens two days, three days, four days, five days, you go the whole week and you're dr- significantly under consuming. And then you get to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and it's like, you're eating quadruple the amount of calories, you know, making up for all of that. Like basically there's that extreme depletion. So I think that the irony is like, you know, if we can just eat in a more balanced fashion and not like kind of fall to any sort of extreme, we can balance out those eating habits, manage our hunger levels so much better and ultimately achieve better results. Because then with us managing those hunger levels and eating more nutrient dense foods, like we aren't going to be consuming calories in excess, or we're not going to get ourselves into those, you know, situations where we are tempted and we feel like we have to like completely go off the rails. So I think it's just important to understand that because I do believe that intermittent fasting is just insanely popular today, but it honestly has become, you know, a lot in a lot of cases like people's crutch. And I know that it became Mm -hmm. my crutch um, for a really, really long time. Um, And it is exactly what caused my overconsumption on the weekends. And now that we are, like I said, eating the breakfast and we are eating more consistently, you know, across the day and across the week, it is 10 times easier to manage results and manage the process of getting those results as it relates to hunger levels and hunger cues Mm -hmm. and satisfaction cues. And something that I see actually under the umbrella of intermittent fasting, because a lot of women that I work with, and I know I was, you know, totally under this as well, but there's a lot of resistance behind eating breakfast, especially when you are working out in the morning. And I totally understand it because one of the worst feelings is going into a workout and feeling so full and you're just like constantly uncomfortable the whole time. So I totally understand that. That's why I would always say like something is better than nothing because kind of on that note that I mentioned earlier, when you wake up, you have to remember that, you know, hopefully you slept around seven or more hours, give or take six plus hours, depending on the individual, but you have essentially been fasting that entire time. So your body Mm -hmm. is waking up and when I say catabolic, it really just means muscle devouring, but you really have to kickstart that protein synthesis process first thing in the morning. Like I said, it really anchors your blood sugar, your hunger and fullness, your energy levels. But if you have resistance around that, if you're an early morning workout kind of person, which I know I am, so I get it. I always say something is better than nothing, but you can even kind of think about it as take some of that pressure off and not think of it as breakfast per se, but think of it more like a split meal. I do that a lot where 
you can take literally what you would have for breakfast, split it right down the center, or just have a little bit before you go, or do something that's just definitely like protein and carbohydrate. That is body's preferred energy source from a carbohydrate standpoint, and then protein to help protein synthesis, all that good stuff. And just try to have something, even if it is more like a quote snack portion, just having something because especially for all of you gals out there, I know I had to wrap my head around this the hard way, but it is crazy the difference when you train fed instead of fasted. All of the research says that especially women do so, 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 so much better in a fed, not fasted state. And I have seen, it is actually crazy how quick I felt that. Obviously there was a little bit of a learning curve there, just like getting your body used to having food that early in the morning. And again, it can be small. Something is better than nothing, as I always say there. But it's crazy how much your performance skyrockets and just what your capacity looks and also feels like, how you just feel so much stronger during your workouts. You have such a longer capacity instead of just having a shit ton of energy at the beginning and then it immediately tapering middle to end of your workout. It really does make such a difference. So if you have any type of resistance and you're like, hell no, could I ever eat anything before I work out? I just want to encourage you, just try a little bit of protein and some carbohydrates. And if solids are like no bueno, you could always do something as easy. Like I even do like collagen in my coffee with some protein on the side. And that's a great way to start doing a shake, half of a shake, whatever, but just trying to get something in, especially for all of you women out there, because fed over fasted trading really is, it just makes such a difference. And it also can help to just for anyone to give you a little bit more fuel, literally for your morning workouts, especially. And I love that you said it was such a mindset shift because I think that us as women, we like are so focused on being smaller versions of ourselves versus like a stronger mm-hmm. version of ourselves. And when you do eat before you train it. And I honestly think like it took me so long on it. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it was like <laughs> literally last summer that I started like eating before my lifts. And once I started doing that, it was just like how my schedule was. Like once I started pushing back my training and realizing, oh, wow, I do feel so much better mm-hmm. in a fed state. You really do have to trust the process. Give it some time to kick in too, just because it takes some time for your digestion and your mm-hmm. metabolism and everything to get used to that. But it, it really does so much for you in balancing your hormones and balancing your hunger levels. Because I used to go into breakfast like ragingly hungry. Mm-hmm. And then I was not satisfied after my first meal because I had expended so much energy and I wasn't feeling my body properly. And once your hormones get used to that, it is like such a game changer for just like even your periods and yeah. everything like that. And even like your focus and your energy. A lot of us go into our day like relying on caffeine. It's like, have you eaten breakfast? Have you mm-hmm. drank enough water? And I know Zach's always like, do you need another cup of coffee or do you just need more water? And so it's really <laughs> nice to have like someone in your corner reminding you of that. But I think it's something that's often so overlooked that we're like so focused on like becoming smaller versions of ourselves that like having more energy, being stronger in the gym, balancing your hormones, having less painful periods is mm-hmm. so overlooked, but it's something like such a small change. Like I love the split meal verbiage too. Yeah. I've never heard that before, mm-hmm. but it really does make such a big difference. If you're too full to work out, you can always go that route. And I think it's a good happy medium. Yeah. And I think just also not like confining yourself to these such like rigid rules. Like yeah. I feel like with intermittent fasting, it's like some people think, you know, for it to be effective or for to utilize a fast, it's like, got to be 16 hours, got to be a certain amount of time. And at the end of the day, guys, it's like, it's funny, we're talking about like this, again, mindful eating, you guys are just talking about, um, you know, being mindful around these things, because I think that it plays with like the fasting concept, like, and what Megan said about eating, like, a lot of people think like, oh, I have to get like a big meal. And if I'm gonna, if I if I am going to eat, like, you know, for example, before a workout, like, the only way to do it is to get a big meal, like, no, like, you know, be flexible, understand that it can be like, you know, just give yourself a little bit of nutrient, like give yourself mm-hmm. like something I like to do. If it's like a super early morning workout, I'll just eat like a rice cake. Like it's a really quick, easy um, carbohydrate, like quick carbohydrate source. Um, and it is technically slower digesting because I'll do like the brown rice ones. But mm-hmm. once again, you're just getting a quick carb um, and a light carb, you know, in the morning or like a piece of fruit. Like that's such an easy way fruit to just like rice. get like a nice little kick of energy. Like you don't have to eat this big ass meal. And then yeah. like, after the workout, yeah, like then eat a bigger meal. But I just think like we're just way too rigid about certain rules. Like we think like for things to work, we have to like, it has to be so rigid and it just doesn't. Like we're through this episode, you guys are going to hear, and this is another, is a really good time um, to talk about this, but like being adaptable, like mm-hmm. taking these principles and these rules and getting it to work fluidly in your life. Like that's really kind of how we've all had long-term success in our health and fitness journeys. We all three do things slightly differently. We all do things differently with our nutrition. And that's why it's so important to really avoid that all or nothing black and white mindset because you can take 
all of these principles and still be very routine, be very habit-based, but just not so rigid, like having the ability to fall back on um, just other ways of doing things or pivoting and still getting that outcome that we're looking for. And on that, something that I always talk about too is just trying to stay focused on your goals while remaining flexible in your approach. And I tell my gals like, just stay focused, but flexible. And they kind of know what I mean, but it is so true. And even what Zach said about just being adaptable and just like trying to allow yourself to stay open-minded too, because I know for so long, even something down to pre-workout, I always thought of caffeine, of supplements, and I never once for so long in years and years of, you know, diving more into my fitness and health journey, never did I ever consider, oh, pre-workout as literal fuel food (laughs) to fuel my body and my workouts. And it's just crazy how much of a difference that makes when you think about it. It's like you could, if you have a really nice sports car and you're just putting basic fuel, like it's going to run, but it's going to kind of run on fumes and not optimally, like it'll run, but not optimally. And if you think about your body, it is a freaking powerhouse, whether you believe me or not. And we need really good quality fuel and time and a place for caffeine. I love my morning cup of coffee just as much as anyone, but there is something to be said for working smarter, not harder, and not only going for average performance, but optimal performance. And it really comes down to these small but mighty tweaks and just reframing how you even see pre-workout and really trying to think foods first, supplements second, and seeing food as literal fuel, you know, with your carbohydrates being your energy source, your protein really helping, especially if you're doing any type of lifting and strength training and prioritizing those two before your workouts against something is better than nothing. But really just experimenting with that, giving yourself some time, giving your body some time and realizing too, especially for a lot of my gals out there, if you are not hungry when you wake up in the morning, that could be a blood sugar imbalance issue. And that could be something, you know, worth looking into if you're eating dinner really, really late, especially when it comes to the proximity to your bedtime and then just your body not being used to eating first thing in the morning. Those hunger and fullness hormones are going to be a little backwards. So giving yourself and your body some time trying something for a week and then tweaking things and going from there, but really trying to get true food as pre-workout, not just your Celsius and your caffeine and all of that. Oh yeah. And we've all been there. <laughs> we've from our own yeah. I'm speaking from very personal experience here. <laughs> and I love that you said the sports car analogy because one of my favorite ways to explain like goal food and soul food to my clients is like explaining that we are luxury cars. It's like if you have a Benz and I only say this because I don't know anything about cars, but I know we're meant to. When Zach had a Benz when we first met, I'm like, you wouldn't put regular gas in a luxury car. That's like putting like relying on soul food, even though it quote fits your calories or fits your macros. That's when I think tracking can become, you know, someone's crutch where they're like, oh, if it fits my calories, I'm fine. But at the same time, if you put regular gas in a luxury car, you won't get from A to Z quickly, efficiently, and optimally, like you said. So I think that is so true. And I think that where a lot of soul food creeps in while we're on the topic is through snacking. So I think a big area where a lot of people are like mindlessly snacking is when they're like watching TV or like they're distracted. I know you mentioned that like obviously limiting distraction is a huge piece of mindful eating, Mm -hmm. but what tips would you say for like people who are big snackers? I think that obviously staying full from your meals is a huge priority, Mm -hmm. but when you do even snacks, how do you go about it? Yeah, same wavelength. Cause I was just about to say, I would first, if you find yourself that, that you are really, really snacky throughout the day, I would say first you need to look at what you're having on either side that is usually something that points to the meals not being balanced and satiating enough. Usually what I see, especially with all of the women that I work with, protein is lacking. You know, it is, I think, something that I'm seeing more and more, which I love to see, is that protein is becoming more of a staple in all of the meals, but it's not the the lead in the meals, if you will, if you will, where we need to prioritize it and lead with it a little bit more. But I do think there's something to be said for really trying to rely on your meals. It's kind of like food first, supplement second, meals first, snack second type of thing. Like they should be a supplement to your meals. And I'm a snack queen. I have a whole bag in the other room that I brought with me for this trip. So I'm a big snack gal, but Wait, I do What are your think... go-tos while you're on the topic? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I love chomps, meat sticks, I also love jerky. Um, I'm trying to think of some brands. I'll have to think on that. But I love having chomps, meat sticks, and then jerky, just like bags of jerky. Go macro bars. I love the oatmeal. I think it's the heartwarming retreat yes. one. That's my go-to. I like, love that one. Period snack. That's really good. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think too. I also love 
and I feel like this always happens anytime we're driving, but even just, or even when you're flying, you can pretty much bring anything as long as it's not liquid. So I really push the limits there, but (laughs) I always like to bring, um, just like any leftover fruit that would otherwise go bad. Um, berries, I usually throw in Tupperware. You can really easily pack like bananas and apples, things like that. Also just bringing packets too of things, like just bringing collagen packets to mix into coffee and things like that. Protein packets you can easily mix with milk or water, make shakes on the go. I'm trying to think of other ones, but those are definitely some staples. I love that you always bring leftover like your meatballs you brought this weekend. A lot of people are like, oh, I couldn't bring X, Y, and Z because, you know, it's not the norm. But I think that yeah. if you have a protein source, if you're just like driving or going out of town for the weekend, like there's no shame in just like bring things that you had left over versus throwing out your protein that you bulk prepped. Like just bring it with you and throw it in something that you make with the family. Or if you grab a salad, just add extra protein on top of it. But I think that those staples like do go a long way. And when you're traveling or with family, just so you can align your actions with your goals and still stay full between meals. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Well, and I was even going to say too, like starting with the meals, but then knowing, you know, that snacks do have a time and a place, especially something that I see is, The stretch between lunch and dinner is usually really long for most people, and that can be due to lifestyle, schedule, work schedule, and that's an opportunity where, you know, we don't want to take it to the extreme of, oh, like, I need to focus on my meals and not bring in snacks. Like, know yourself, know your schedule, know your lifestyle, and also your body, too, where you are not meant to go hours and hours and hours without eating. So if you have a longer stretch, whether it's between breakfast and lunch and or between lunch and dinner, that is an awesome time to just think of it as like a bridge between that meal. And it can, I think we even need to think, kind of rethink how we think of snacks. They don't have to be prepackaged. They don't have to be tiny portions. They can even be more like true meal size if you need them to be, depending on your schedule. I know a lot of my gals that I work with that are health in the healthcare sphere, you know, you have to be mindful of your different schedule requirements and just what that looks like but really trying to always think of snacks and pairs is something that I like to recommend whether it's a fat and a carb or a protein and a carb because often what I see is people just do naked carbs you can call them but where it's just like a carbohydrate by themselves and that is just going to set you up for it's kind of like if you get a quick hit of energy and then it just like immediately crashes type thing. Like you'll get a really quick big surge, but then it'll drop really fast. Whereas if you think of it kind of like Zach was talking about, like on a graph, if you're looking at a graph and you have just say, you know, like fruit's amazing, but say you just had like an apple, then you would have like a really big spike on that graph and then a really big dip. Whereas if you paired that with something like a jerky stick or some almond butter or a nut butter of choice, AKA a protein or a fat source, you're going to get more of that wave and like a nice good bit of a burst of energy, but then the taper, it's going to taper instead of like crash and dip. So really trying to think of those snacks and pairs, even better if you can do all three macros, protein, carb, fat, but really trying to pair any carbohydrate that you have with either a protein or a fat is really going to serve you really, really well, especially from a blood sugar perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And like the type of carb, because, Mm -hmm. you know, if we can consume more slower digesting, more complex carbohydrates, that's going to keep us fuller for longer. We're not going to have like quick hunger spikes, kind of like Megan's talking about. I know that that's something, something as simple. I had a client one time, like something as simple as swapping white rice for brown rice. Mm -hmm. Like they were becoming extremely hungry very quickly after consuming the white rice as their main carbohydrate source in their meals and just flipping that to brown rice that's a slower digesting more complex carbohydrate like makes all the difference in the world and i think that this plays you know really into this whole whole idea of snacking in general and i think that if we have like a weight loss goal or a weight management goal it's so important to be smart about what it is we're snacking on because i think Mm -hmm. a lot of times we can lean into more of those like kind of like we were talking about like super um more processed carbohydrates or maybe even more processed fats that mm. are typically the types of foods we like to snack on when we get those yeah. cravings. And those can be insanely high in calories. Like I know like a go-to for me, like I, I used to be like notorious with snacking. And instead of like having some, you know, complex carbohydrates to the form of like fruit, you know, around that I could snack on, um, it's going to be a little bit low, lower calorie or like the chomps or like the, the low processed or minimally processed beef jerky, like Megan's talking about, like those are all great sources that are going to be more nutrient dense. But Mm -hmm. something like I used to do was, you know, snack on like a bunch of nuts, which are definitely nutrient dense, but they're also very calorically (laughs) dense and it's very easy to eat a high volume of them. So I think like, 
you know, in tandem with mindful snacking, also just being smart about what we're snacking on Mm -hmm. and making sure we're still getting a lot of bang for our buck. Um, Especially, like I said, if the goal for someone out there is like weight loss, weight management, you know, we can still snack, just be mindful and smart about what it is that you're snacking on. And not not only what you're eating, but how you're eating too. And that goes with snacking, but also with meals too. But I think something that I had to, and again, a lot of this is personal experience, so I'm never like pointing a finger here, but something that I really had to work on was, well, it's kind of twofold. One, eating out of larger containers. That was just a habit that I formed, whether I stick my hand in a popcorn bag or a chip mm-hmm. bag, crackers, like even a larger Tupperware container of, you know, whatever, maybe fruit, whatever. And then taking it a step further, I would also stand and I would <laughs> very rarely sit down. So I think something to think about is, just plating your food. And this is not out of restriction. Like I can only have this amount. Like you can always go back for more. And I would recommend it too. If like from a physical hunger standpoint, like you need it, like absolutely go back, but just portioning your food, plating your food and knowing that it helps so much when you can visually see what you are having. Kind of like Zach said, with the nut perspective, it can be so, so easy to just grab handfuls and handfuls and handfuls and just literally mindlessly eat them versus just taking a handful and it doesn't have to be fancy guys like it can literally be a paper towel you just plate it quote unquote and then you can literally see what you're having and you can always go back for more but having that visual representation of not only what you're eating but then thinking about how you're eating it too trying to sit down and slow down as often as possible especially snacking i know that sounds like it's not going to really make a difference, but we inherently eat so much faster when we're standing. So whether it is snacking or meals, just trying to bring all of those same habits and principles with you, and it will become a lot more second nature over time. And it will become basically like your new habit to replace the old ones, the more you have repetition behind it. Yeah. And I know I gave the example of like the nuts. It was kind of a poor example, but like, I just think of like clients who talk about like snacking on like candy or snacking Mm -hmm. on chips Chips, or something like that. Like, it's just so easy to overindulge on those more processed, you know, just foods in general. So like Megan said, like find that balance between the protein, carbs, fats within the snacks and focus on those nutrient dense foods, which is ironically going to be, you know, really our next topic of conversation, which, um, you know, we kind of talk about changing that verbiage from like bad or good to more nutrient dense, you know, something that Christina says a lot is like goal food versus Mm -hmm. soul food. We say that a lot on this podcast. And so we wanted to kind of talk about um, like that with you, Megan, with your journey, like how you've kind of switched the mindset, I would say, and the perspective around, you know, how we're labeling foods, how we are viewing certain foods versus others, and how that's kind of changed throughout your fitness journey, as well as for your clients yeah and i i think something that you hear all the time and i know it sounds so cliche mindset it ever is everything but it is so true because your mindset drives your behavior and even down to like your beliefs i would even argue so if you believe that something is bad and off limits anytime you have that you are therefore going to feel bad and like in some way and that's why i think we just have like Food can be emotional, it can be nostalgic. I mean, anytime I say that, I think of grandma's pecan pie. So I get like time and a place for the nostalgia and that like food is so much more than fuel. It's experience, it's culture, it's everything. But I do think we have to remove some of the emotion, especially when it comes to like that more, it's not even emotion, but morality, that good versus bad, because then it just kind of clouds your perception of like what is actually in the food. Like there's also so many times where in my own journey, in the journeys of the women that I work with where they're labeling foods as bad that are actually nutrient powerhouses, eggs, red meat, you know, fruits, carbs, all of these things that are so fucking good for you. (laughs) And they're convinced like freaking avocado and hummus. I mean, those are, those are not bad guys. Those are so nutrient dense in so many capacities, but it's like, we, it just really clouds our perspective of like what is actually in the food. So that's why I always try to write. I love the soul food, goal food. Um, you can also like I, instead of like good versus bad, I think like more nutrient dense, less nutrient dense, because it allows you to see the food at face value for what it is. And it also allows you to have more nutrient awareness of, you know, what is actually in this food. For example, I know for so long, I simply did not know, and this is just the irony when we do this, and this is a great example of this for so long, I was on the, you know, no carb or low carb game, like very early in my journey. And what's so funny is I was eating a shit ton of fruit, like so many bananas, so much fruit, and like completely oblivious to the fact that 
that is such a good carbohydrate source, but I was over here trying to be low carb and I was eating all these fruits. And it's just so crazy how it makes you lose sight of, you know, the bigger picture and also just like the food at face value. So that's why I recommend trying to remove the morality and like the good versus bad and see it more at face value, more nutrient dense, less nutrient dense. And you can just see the food for what it is and for what it offers. And anytime you have more of that good for the soul, soul food, that's less nutrient dense, you know, you can even check in and say like, what does this food offer? Maybe what is this food missing? What can I add to this to make it more balanced and nourishing? I always like to encourage my clients to think of nutrition by addition instead of like that restriction, that elimination. What do I think I need to remove or eliminate? What can I add and what can I bring into this to round it out, to make it more nutrient dense and to better fuel yourself and your body time in a place where you don't simply add anything, you know, like when you're just having ice cream or something delicious, like you're not going to round that out maybe. And that's okay. Like time in a place, but knowing how to bring that, especially into your meals and things like that. And to just have that more truly balanced and mindful mindset. So it's not so reactive and just like, oh, that's bad and off limits. It's like, well, is it really, or is it just how you're seeing the food? Or is it this history from dieting or diet culture and all of these things you've picked up over the years and trying to reframe and even rewrite that definition of what healthy is and trying to see it more from the more nutrient dense, less nutrient dense type of perspective. And I love how you talked about the addition because I think that's a huge piece of like misconception when it comes to fitness and just like making it a lifestyle that everyone wants to restrict or just think about like, what can I add to this? Um, Before I ask my next question, I want to hear any examples you would say if someone was like eating out and having a soul food or like this weekend when we were like, let's say eating a soul food, for example, what's like a cherry pie, (laughs) a nutrition addition that you would recommend adding to that. So I, this is, and I keep, you know, feel like I keep talking about pizza. So there's nothing wrong with pizza. We love a good pizza, but it's just a really easy easy example. example. So for example, if you were going out with your girlfriends and you were ordering, ordering pizza, like if you kind of break down those three questions that I mentioned, what does this food offer? Starchy carbs, fat, maybe a little bit protein and a whole lot of satisfaction. That's for sure. But what is this food missing? Usually pizza is missing protein. The goal is give or take 30 plus grams of protein in each meal. And it's also, it may have some veggies, but it's also maybe lacking those micronutrients, the color, those greens. Um, so if you think of it, like, what could I add to this to make it more balanced and nourishing? You could bring or make a salad for some color, depending on if you're going out, staying in, you could also have some protein before you go. Think of it kind of like that split meal perspective. Like there are so many times where I knew that I was going out for pasta or for pizza, like things that I really want to enjoy and not really want to have to fuck around with adding anything once I get there. And that's totally fine. So I just take it upon myself. Again, that self-awareness, that mindfulness to just say, okay, well, I'm going to have some protein before I go into that meal. So I also don't go in starving, ravenous, etc. And so I already kind of have that protein box checked and then I can just roll up and order that pasta I've been eyeing or just really enjoy a few slices of pizza. And really, again, that plug and play of trying to set yourself up for success in any situation. And we love that proactive behavior, especially with protein. <laughs> and something I've been, um, that I play around with with my clients, depending on where they're at in their journey with me, is having like untracked meals or untracked days just to kind of like flex that mindful muscle, which I think is important in like carrying this on as a lifestyle. So we love that idea. And it is so true that like tracking and mindful eating can coexist. And they are super important because I know you have clients track protein and we have clients eat mindfully while tracking. Mm -hmm. So I want to hear your perspective on like how those two things can coexist. Yeah. So I think first things first, it's always, it always comes down to self-awareness and what is going to be more helpful than harmful with not only where you're currently at in your journey, but also where you've been. The history is so important. It is not something to be ashamed of or feel bad about. I mean, if I went into my history, guys, you would be surprised at the amount of things that I have tried over the years. And again, it's all context and it, it's it's only something that is going to help help you if you lean into it. And I think that's why it is a very bio-individual, it has to be a very bio-individual approach. It cannot be cookie cutter. And it just needs to be one of those things where you get real with yourself about where you've been up until this point and where you're currently at and what you and your body, but also yourself and your mindset will be the most receptive too. And if you have just come off of a decade of tracking, playing the yo-yo game with dieting and diving into different diet culture, diets and modalities and things like that, like you might not be at, 
you might be pretty fucking burnt out like I was honestly, where you need to lean more into mindful eating practices and still have those parameters, those guiding principles, but to not be doing the actual logging of your food every single day. And that's okay because I think like anything, the mindful eating, the tracking, they're all tools that can be so helpful. It's just how you incorporate them. That's like the biggest thing. Like there's nothing inherently wrong or better with either approach. It's just what is going to set you up for success and knowing that they are tools that even if you're not using them now, that doesn't mean you can't use them down the road. I've had plenty of women that I've worked with where they come to me really burnt out with tracking, with calorie counting, even with macros and just like logging things into an app. And that's why we strip it back. They already have a lot of good self-awareness of what makes up the foods and the three macronutrients and things like that. But how can we really lean into the mindset piece, lean into the mindfulness piece so they can get reacclimated with their hunger and fullness and preparing meals and leading with protein and all of those principles, maybe without actually logging them into the app, still really focusing on protein and just knowing that they can go back to tracking. Cause I've had plenty of clients do that where they start with me on more of a mindful eating side of things. And then eventually they go into tracking again because we've, you know, made some changes. We want to level set, find the new baseline or even something that I've done with, I do this with all of my clients at the very beginning, but it's something that I call a nutrition nourishment journal. And this is not only tracking what you're having, but how it's making you and your body feel from a digestive standpoint, even your mindset around it, how you're going into meals, how you're leaving meals, starving stuffed or somewhere in between all of that good stuff. So you can just get a better snapshot. I think we so often go through the motions that we don't really have, or it can be so easy to not have a lot of awareness around just what you're having on a daily basis. And I know anytime any of my clients do that at the very beginning of our time together, they always tell me this was such an eye opening experience because you know, it, it can be so easy to just stay tunnel vision and go through the motions and not really have an, an idea of what you're having. And I think regardless of how you do it, whether it's tracking, mindful eating, a journal, like I mentioned, or a mix of all of the above, like just getting more in touch with what you're doing on a daily basis. So you can have that self-awareness. And so you can make those small but mighty improvements to go from maybe fine and good to like truly optimal and just honestly feeling like kick-ass. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like even as this relates to my own personal journey, I know that like I've gotten into the mode where like I've almost become like so obsessed with the tracking side of things that I would lose sight of once again, like the hunger cues and the fullness cues mm-hmm. and, and the, sati- the satiation. Like I would be, you know, in moments where like, oh, I've got like a couple hundred calories left, but I'm satisfied. I'm going to eat anyway. You know what I yeah. mean? Like kind of getting yourself in, into that mode of becoming like too obsessive with the tracking. And this is where I feel like the, the time that I turned like the biggest corner was like really listening to those hunger cues mm-hmm. and like really listening to and paying attention to the fullness cues, especially on the weekend. Cause I feel like yeah. the weekend was my biggest crutch where it would be so easy to, you know, get a bunch of snacks from the grocery store, or, like go to a movie and like, you know, get a bunch of like popcorn and snacks and stuff like that. And like, um, you know, think just things along those lines where you can very much so overindulge. Um, but like really paying attention in tandem with the calorie tracking, like where those hunger levels are at, like, when am I truly full? And I think that like, take, like Megan said, taking your time sitting down, like not like sitting on your phone and scarfing food down, like that plays a huge role in how much or how aware you are, you know, of how full you are, of how hungry you are. I think hydration is another massive, mm-hmm. massive, massive component to this where, um, you know, if we're lacking that hydration and we're not, you know, getting water in throughout the day, it's going to be so much easier, you know, to fall susceptible into like those snacking modes where it's just like, you know, you eat, you eat, you eat. And then like, you know, 30 minutes later, you're just stuffed out of your mind. So um, this is where I do believe that these two things really do go hand in hand um, because we know that tracking isn't 100% perfect. We know that food labels like are 20% wrong half the time. So like in those, in those modes where maybe I had a few hundred calories left, maybe based off of like the inaccurate labels, I actually was hitting my calories. So this is where, um, once again, guys, like don't become so, and we've said this so many times so far, like just don't allow yourself to become that like, like black and white or like all or nothing mindset where Mm -hmm. like it's only the tracking or nothing, or like it's only the mindful eating or nothing. Like just have that adaptive approach, see the bigger picture, have that holistic approach and understand that it's a multitude of these different things that are going to all play into how you look, move and feel every single day. So to kind of round things off, we want you guys to always remember like you are what you do most of the time. And that's something we all weave into our practices and we 
practice ourselves on weekends like this where we're with family we're celebrating things and just remember like times like this it's like the memories are more important than the macros and also like the people you're with it's more important than like just distracting yourself with the food like that's not what the holidays and like these weekends and these special moments are all about so we want just want you guys to you know remember that to drive this thing home but before we send you guys off you have any final words meg also tell people where to find you we'll link everything in the show notes of course but just plug yourself and any final words on mindful eating or on yourself Yeah, I would say just take the pressure off. I think something that I see in so many of the women that I've been lucky enough to work with and even in my own journey and just so many people that I know personally, (laughs) we are high achievers and we expect a lot of ourselves and that's a beautiful thing, but just finding the balance between having high expectations and unrealistic expectations for ourselves and knowing Like Chris said, something is better than nothing. We're not going for 100% better every time. We're going for 1% better every time, maybe 5% better, you know, depending on where you're currently at. But just taking the pressure off, meeting yourself where you're at, and just take it day by day, meal by meal. That is the best piece of advice I can get. So often we think that we have to overhaul our lives overnight, and it really is a daily practice. And just trying to find what that looks like for you staying focused on your goals, remaining flexible in your approach, and you will be fucking unstoppable, honestly. <laughs> so, Mic drop. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I'm on Instagram, fueled by this, um, and I would love to hang out with you guys more. <laughs> so come on over to fueled by this on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely, Megan. This was awesome. And thank you for your awesome insight. And um, we really enjoyed this. Definitely going to have you guys or uh, definitely going to have you, Megan, on again at a later date. Part three. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. Yes, we appreciate you, and we appreciate you all listening up until this point. Always making it to the end of the episode. We know you guys are the real ones. So check out the show notes to find Meg, and we will see you guys next week. Peace out.